0: welcome back to time out with the sports doctor podcast where life sports and medicine intersect we're very glad that you continue to support this podcast you can get the information on any platform uh, where podcasts are played as well as getting the video content on youtube But if you want to just get one place to find all the content, go to my website at DrGarrettTheSportsDoctor.com and you will find everything on that website. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. All right, so welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast. We have another interesting guest for you today, Mr. Grayson Gunter. Um, He's a former professional athlete in the NFL Uh, Also played college football for both Arkansas, University of Arkansas, as well as uh, University of Southern Miss, where he got his Master's of Business Administration. So, hey, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. So we were just talking about you were a Jaguar twice. So you got to end it with being a Jaguar, but you also played for Madison Central in your high school career. Did you play both football and baseball or what did you play in high school?
1: Yeah, so I played uh, I played football, basketball, and baseball up until I was in 10th grade. And just the, the size of Madison Central, you know, one of the biggest high schools in Mississippi. Uh, I kind of figured out that it was going to be tough to do all three, and I knew I was going to have to cut ties with one. And I ended up cutting ties with baseball. And uh, it was tough because it was something that I always played growing up. And, I mean, honestly, if you would ask me in, you know, eighth or ninth grade, You know, Grayson, if you're going to be playing one sport in college, what's it going to be? I would have 100% said baseball. Yeah. So, you know, looking at the screen, you might not be able to tell the size difference,
0: but give us your height and weight. What's your size?
1: Yeah. So right now I'm 6'5", 6'6", kind of depending on where you get measured at. Uh, Right now I'm about 230 uh, since I've been training for this half marathon, but my playing weight was about 250. Yeah. Yeah. So big guy. So were you always kind of pulled to play
0: sports as a kid or, you know, was it always just an interest or was it, you know, the coach see you walk down the hall and they're like, you got to be on my team.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I I didn't really have much choice, uh, just, you know, whenever you're kind of born with a size like this and you're (laughs) towering over kids and elementary and middle school. Yeah. It's definitely going to be something people try to get you into, but honestly, I, I didn't really have to, uh, have that. My dad was a college athlete at at Ole Miss back in the late 80s, um, and he played outside linebacker there. And so it was just kind of in my DNA, just the athletics was in my DNA. And I kind of was always, uh, you know, outside, always had the ball, was always with kids in my neighborhood. We were always, you know, looking for something to do sports-wise. Yeah. So, and now your brother's playing college sports as well, right? That's right. He's at Tulane. Uh, He's a redshirt freshman this year. Uh, he was part of the team last year that went 11-2 and two, uh, that won the American Athletic Conference and ended up winning the Cotton Bowl, too. Yeah, no, great. So, you know, as always, I tell you – know, we have all these
0: conversations in orthopedics about kids and talking to their parents, and early on, you know, he's showing potential, and it's a good chance he's going to the pros. But this just shows you genetics is a factor, right?
1: <laughs> you yeah. Know, a lot of times,
0: yeah. if you have professional parents, collegiate parents – it's a good chance a kid may play pro sports, but, you know, my kids are very realistic. They say, look at my parents. So I tell my son, we'll be able to ride it as far as we can, you know, but dad's not a pro athlete, but you can be a pro in something.
1: That's right. That's right. Well, it definitely doesn't hurt to have the genes, but you know, there's, there's definitely those people that that'll go out there and defy the odds. You know, whenever I was in the league in Jacksonville, there was, you know, people that were out there that looked like, you know, if you saw them on the street, they'd be a high school player. Um, But, you know, you get them out there on the field and you're just like, wow, you know, this is why these guys are here. Um, You know, they got heart, they got toughness and they can play ball, too. Sure. And I think that was a perfect segue. Right. So um,
0: hanging out with you guys talking about Can't Hurt Me with David Goggins. And, you know, I'd heard about the book. My wife had actually read the book and I've heard people mention the book before. But, you know, with you and Jake, that time that you said, look, you got to read this book it's going to change your life. It's going to really mess your head up, you know? So I was like, all right, I've heard this a couple of times now, so let's do it. So, you know, what I really wanted to do is go through this book. I've done several book reviews on the podcast, uh, but I felt like this one deserved to have some dialogue because it's just so many concepts about overcoming odds, overcoming, you know, a poor childhood or overcoming obstacles, and really competing with yourself to, meet whatever goal you have in place you know and being able to defy the odds of even the human body or defy the odds of many roadblocks along the way and you know from mental to physical and it was just very impressive going through that book and really it makes you question am I really maximizing my life so
1: that's kind of how I walked away from this book so what were some of your overall takes Yeah, I I think the biggest thing for me with David Goggins is just, like you said, overcoming that childhood adversity. Uh, You know, there's so many people I feel like in the world today where, you know, they'll have a tough childhood like that and they'll come up and they'll say, oh, well, you know, the deck was stacked against me. The odds were stacked against me and they'll never really turn out to be anything. And they'll kind of always use that as a crutch. You know, well, if my family made more money or if I was, you know, born here, if I, you know, had this socioeconomic background, you know, things would be different for me. Uh, but I think he, you know, is living and breathing proof that, you know, you can go out there, you can defy the odds and really make a name for yourself and, and whatever, you know, it, it needs to be. Um, you know, obviously he didn't, you know, grow up and become a rocket scientist or, or some, you know, smart mathematician, but what he did was, you know, dive into the depths of the human mind and how far you can push yourself. And, you know, I think he's really changed a lot of lives doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing, you know, before everybody
0: go out and say, oh, Dr. Derek told me to read this book and I cannot believe it. The language is tough, right? But that's one of the things that he's going to talk about. How can I sugarcoat my life Is if it wasn't bed of roses when I was growing up? So, yeah, it's tough, but. For most adults, it's not any language that you haven't heard before. I think if you can get past that point and really grasp some of the life lessons about the book, it's definitely worth a read, definitely worth a listen. One of the things that jumped out to me at first is I came in with a preconceived notion that he was going to be someone from a poor social economic st- uh, class or someone that might have grew up in a rough neighborhood. But it, the book starts off and he's talking about how, you know, these houses with picket fences and expensive cars in the driveway. And I'm already like, hold on, what's really going on? I thought that he had a rough childhood, uh, but it just shows you that you can't judge the book by its cover because just because everything looks perfect from the outside, what you didn't know is the, the childhood mental trauma and abuse that was going on inside the house. So that was one of the first things that jumped out at me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. For me too, um, you know, because it talks about, you know, growing up in that nice neighborhood, Um, but, you know, behind closed doors, what was going on with his mother and, you know, all the trauma that he was going through with that and for his father to kind of be, you know, a prolific figure in the community. Um, and a lot of people don't know, Hey, behind closed doors, there's a lot of domestic abuse. Um, you know, you have the kids up at the skating rink all hours, um, of the night, whether it be, you know, cleaning gum off the bottom of the tables or or cleaning the skates and, And then they're sleeping in there and they're sleeping underneath every one party and then drinking all night. And, you know, they're getting up and they're going to school the next day, uh, just like a normal kid. And pressing on is, is, is something that it really puts it into perspective. Yeah. And, you know, that was one thing
0: for years and years and years. He carried that trauma. And I think so many of us carry things from our childhood. And never even really want to approach it ourselves, nor do we want to get help. And we just try to shut it away. But even after he achieved all these goals from becoming a Navy SEAL and basically doing every special ops that you can do in the military, he still was going back to that broken child, which was impressive. And it wasn't until he was able to overcome that, that he was able to, you know, really find some gratification in all
1: the achievements that he made. Yeah, that's right. And just going back to what you said earlier, you know, whenever it talks about the language in the book, I I think it's kind of interesting and funny at the same time that at the beginning of the book, you know, in the introduction, it says, you know, this is not a self-help book. This is not to make you feel good. This is this is about unleashing, uh, unleashing your mind and, you know, kind of unlocking your demons and tapping into that to that trauma and kind of what makes him tick. And I think it's really interesting. I just got done reading his second book that, that got published uh, at the end of 2022. It's called Never Finished. I think it's a perfect title for his book because he truly is the definition of, of never finished. You know, he talks about his knee problems, that he was bone on bone, and that's kind of what he was born with. And people think, you know, oh, Goggins is running all these miles and this is really the wear and tear on his knees. This is why, you know, he's having so much pain, but he was born like that and you know whenever he he went in to get his knee scoped and he got he encountered a little bit of trouble with it you know he said well if i can't run then i'll bike if i can't bike then i'll swim he's constantly finding a way to change the game and revolutionize and really see how far he can push himself
0: yeah and i mean like you said pushing himself i was thinking that in the
1: beginning okay he's
0: trying to be a navy seal and as we know from the book it took what three times to even get through that not because he couldn't physically do it because he was having health problems or um, the one time he messed his knee up and he kept going back and that i think about some of the hardest training that i have to do in life i often joke about med school okay i did it once but definitely wouldn't want to do it again i can only imagine if i made it to graduation day and then had to start over with med school or start over with some of the other grueling things that I've done in my life. Would I ever go back? And the answer is probably no. And not only did he go back multiple times to become a Navy SEAL, but he went on to, you know, because once he figured out, okay, I can be a Navy SEAL, he said, I wanna do special ops for the Army. I wanna do, you know, this uh, special op unit and that special op unit and kept trying to just up the ante because. Once he thought that he was going to become a Navy SEAL, he was going to be the toughest, strongest guy in the world. And then once he got there, he still would just kind of diminish that achievement and say there's got to be more. So talk about that feeling of it's got to be more. What did you think
1: about that? I think, you know, that's just one of the many interesting parts about him, you know, whenever he talks about always doing more, I was recently uh, listening to an interview and He was just talking about, you know, Goggins, do you ever feel like, you know, my work here is done? Do you ever feel like you've done enough? And he says at the end of the day, he's doing this for him to see how far he can push himself mentally. But at the same time, he's doing it for other people out there in the world. You know, he'll get emails, tons of emails, calls, people coming up to him in these conferences saying, hey, Goggins, you know, I went from being a couch potato to now I'm I'm running half marathons. I'm running marathons and it's all because of you. And he talks about, you know, there are days that he doesn't want to get up and he'll wake up for that 4 a.m., 5 a.m. run. And, you know, he'll wake up and he'll look at his shoes, he says, for 30, 45 minutes to an hour. And he doesn't want to do it, but he says he always does. And I think that's that's really just playing into that mental discipline that he has and just kind of going the extra mile for other people. Yeah. So you, you know, you've been a collegiate
0: athlete, which is a lot. You have to be a student. You have to be an athlete. You have to push through injuries. You've dealt with injuries. And, you know, one parallel he always draws in the book is an athlete with an injury, right? Whether it's a knee injury, a broken bone or a broken foot. And they say, oh, I got to be a warrior. I got to push through this. But he took it to a whole nother extreme. I mean, he took it through running marathons or doing ultra marathons with broken bones and you know, almost in kidney failure and different things of that nature. So how did that make you feel as an athlete when you hear, you know, you hear that parallel between, you know,
1: pushing through versus what he actually endured? I think, you know, from being an athlete, obviously, I I wasn't in uh, in kidney failure or having stress fractures (laughs) in my feet and running 100 miles. But I think the mental game, it coincides with it so much. In in 2020 at Southern Miss, uh, you know, obviously the COVID year affected everyone. Uh, But I think it affected Southern Miss more than anything. We lost our head coach after the first game of the season. He was let go. We had an interim coach come in to coach the next four or five games. He actually took a job at another university that was playing in the spring. Um, We had three head coaches in one season. We had numerous games canceled uh, that you would practice all week for. You would go to get on the plane, and they would tell you, hey, guys, we did everything we could. We just couldn't make it work with the numbers. So I think, you know, Going through a grueling season like that, a lot of people don't really realize how grueling a football season is because you right. go from fall camp, you go right into this grueling season. And there's really no breaks, you know, all the way from, you know, end of July until December, January, kind of figuring out. So you definitely have to kind of master the mental part of it, you know, just as much as the physical part. So talk about,
0: you know, you brought up a great comparison because that's your mass, that's your graduate year, right? So you've already been in Arkansas you know that you have a, a potential of being a professional player, and I'd imagine you went to Southern Miss to put up good numbers so you could be, you know, drafted or picked up as a free agent in the NFL. So, what's going through your mind at that point, where you like, okay, this season's kind of going up in smoke, and this is my last chance? Yeah. So,
1: it, you know, it was it was really tough. I had to do a lot of soul searching, had to do a lot of praying, had to do a lot of talking with my parents. It was an interesting feeling that I had never really experienced before growing up, being an athlete, kind of lost my love for the game a little bit. And that was really difficult for me. You know, I had to lean on peers. I had to lean on, you know, the word and, and people, you know, kind of in my inner circle to kind of get me through that. And, you know, I, I did. I was going to be granted an extra year um, with the COVID year, the 2020 year, uh, not counting, essentially. Uh, and I knew in 2021, I would have an opportunity to come back. I wasn't sure who the coach was going to be. But at the end of the day, I just kind of had to look myself in the mirror and say, you know, is the NFL something you want to do? You know, obviously, I knew it was a possibility. And if it was what I wanted to do, I was going to have to stick it out. I was going to have to be there for my teammates. Uh, and I was going to have to give, you know, my absolute best effort every day for me and for them also. So you did come back in that 2021 season? I did. I did. I came back for in the 2021 season and I played for uh, Will Hall. Got gotcha. you. So that was his initial year coaching at Southern Miss, right? That's correct. Yeah.
0: So, one thing about athletics is that people take it for granted. They see you put on your uniform, jog out of the tunnel, and go onto the field. But what they don't know a lot of times is what you're overcoming, right? Even though you might not be injured enough to miss a game, at this point in the year, you know, six, seven, eight games into a season, it's very few healthy athletes in the locker room. And, you know, you have to mentally be tough enough to play through some pain, play through some discomfort. You know, if you're hurt enough, we're going to hold you out. But there's no such thing really at this point as having a a completely healthy athlete. Everybody's kind of taking some bumps and bruises along the way. So just kind of talk about the mindset of playing through pain and playing through discomfort.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing to learn, you know, especially as a college athlete, because the game is just so much more physical Uh, there's a big difference between being hurt and being injured. And I think you have to, you know, kind of have an honest conversation with yourself. You know, am I hurt? Can I go out there and still give my best effort? And, you know, if you're injured, you know, that you really can't get out there and play. But like you said, there's going to be no one that's 100 percent in the college football season. You're fighting to be as close to the 100 percent as you are, as you can be. And, you know, you have to really lean on your trainers, your athletic training staff during that point, and you have to be honest with them and they'll kind of point you in the right direction of, you know, what, what's, you know, are you going to be able to be safe out there to protect yourself? But I think the biggest thing for me, I know at Southern Miss, my last year, I had a turf toe injury and a groin injury uh, that kind of limited me. But I was, you know, I was honest with myself and I said, hey, you know, I can play through this. I think I missed maybe one game to kind of get myself back right and have enough strength to where I could go out there and kind of protect myself if I needed to. And I would kind of have to battle through those weeks. And, you know, whenever it came to Saturday, you know, the trainers would do whatever they needed to do uh, to get me ready to play. But, you know, I think it was, you know, probably midway through the season on, I was really, you know, not anywhere near a hundred percent, but I knew that was my senior year and I was going to have to go out there and, and, you know, grind if I wanted to be on the field. Yeah, absolutely. And like you mentioned, leaning on your staff and it's really
0: a relationship because I have to know as a physician that I'm doing the right thing for you. But at the same time, I have to be lenient enough to understand your predicament. And if it's not something that's going to put you in jeopardy,
1: of further injury, you know, there's a little leeway there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think being transparent, you know, with the training staff is the biggest thing, you know, you guys know more than anyone, um, you know, y'all are there to help, but at the same time, you're not mind readers, right? Uh, You have to go and you have to be transparent and you have to be honest and know that, you know, you always have the athlete's best interest in mind.
0: Yeah. So it's funny because that's one thing about this podcast and having the the genuine conversations with people, the stuff that I said, I was going to ask you, we haven't touched any of it yet. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) About, you know, but there are a couple of things about the book that I want to touch on. And one of them is the accountability mirror, because many times just in life in general, in sports or in on the job or in relationships, we look for a person to hold us accountable. But David Goggins talks about the accountability mirror. So let's kind of break down that topic. What do you, what does that accountability mirror mean, you know, from your perspective and kind of what he talked about? If you're enjoying this episode, don't wait to the end to share it. Share it now. Share this with a friend or a colleague that you think might find value in this information. And then also Make sure that you click and leave us a five-star review and give us feedback because we really value your feedback and your input. Now back to the episode.
1: Yeah, I just think, you know, it just kind of, at the end of the day, you just got to be truthful to yourself. You know, after reading the book, it's kind of something that I've taken into account. Um, Since my playing days are, you know, over, I'm looking for You know, the next thing that I can conquer, kind of like Goggins says. And this Saturday, I'll be running my first half marathon. And, you know, there's been days where I have not wanted to go out and do it. It's been too hot. Uh, You know, I've had a long day at work, but I know there's going to be no one there to push me. And so what I did is I got tape and I put it on my mirror and I would go one mile, two mile, three, all the way down to 13. And every time I would, you know, rip that piece of tape off whenever I got to, uh, whenever I conquered that mile. And that was something that kind of it kind of registered in my mind. It's like, okay, I'm making progress. And this is me doing this. This is no one else holding my hand. And it
0: just made me laugh because it made me flash back to the book where he was running these marathon, marathons, ultra marathons. That's what you're going to look like on Saturday, six 230 pounds running
1: beside the five one 110 pound person. So <laughs> yeah, it'll you're definitely gonna... be interesting to see. And that's kind of something that I've had to, I've had to dial my expectations down a little bit because it's easy to get online and I'll look at these guys that are running, you know, man, they're running 7, 650 miles um, and then they're 5'3", 120 pounds. So I kind of got to be real with myself whenever it comes to that. Yeah, you won't see too
0: many offensive linemen out there chugging along with you, I bet. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Uh, And then the other thing, you know, and this will really kind of take – uh, reference to playing in the trenches, especially you know in the SEC, big guys. But let's talk about the taking souls, uh, mm-hmm. where he was talking about during the training, during the Navy SEALs training, that everybody there, number one, is in peak condition. Everyone there is hard-nosed. The people doing the training, the people that are trying to get into the SEALs, everybody's you know kind of got this macho attitude. And the taking of souls, he talked about with his team, is where when it would get really tough and the conditions were the nastiest and everyone was tired and he knew that the commanding officers were trying to break them, that's when he would start to chant louder or that's when he would try to uh, do an extra rep or try to show that his team had the mental toughness as well as the physical toughness that they were not going to be denied. So just kind of talk about that concept and kind of how that tied in with your playing days.
1: Yeah, so – Whenever you get to the college level, like I was saying earlier, there's going to be so many guys that are just as talented as you. You know, you go from being the guy in high school where, you know, maybe your talent can kind of you can get away with, you know, not being as disciplined or not being as tough or physical. You know, whenever you get to the college level, everyone's just as good or better than you. So what I kind of had to lean on whenever I was, you know, coming in as a freshman, I was extremely undersized. I would have to lean on just just being physical in my mindset of, of wanting to block. I had a tight ends coach that explained it to me, and it, it really stuck, and it made sense the older I got. But he said, I can teach you all the technique in the world, but at the end of the day, you got to want to block. And whenever you line up from that guy across from you in those trenches, especially in SEC play, he's got to know that you're coming every single play. And just kind of that taking souls aspect is, you know, if you show, you know, one ounce of weakness – or you know that you're tired or you're hurt, you know that's like blood in the water for those guys. So you know you may be hurting, uh, you may be tired, but at the end of the day, you can never show it on the field. You can never show weakness to your opponent. Yeah, yeah. So I think the showing of weakness is one thing, and then at some
0: point, it's funny. Marshawn Lynch, I made this joke the other day when he was talking about if you hit a man in the mouth repetitively enough, he's gonna fold, right? And once you keep showing someone that, hey, no matter what you throw at me, I'm going to keep coming back. Sooner or later, they're going to get tired of trying to break you or find out that, hey, okay, this guy's just crazy. I'm not going to mess with him anymore because it's not fun anymore. So, uh, yeah, I think that was also a good parallel to that. Exactly. Exactly right. Um, And then another thing is uh, removing the governor where he talked about, you know, we have these mental blocks many times. Of course, you're going to be physically tired or physically stressed, but typically your mind tells you to shut down before your body is a- actually physically unable to complete whatever task it is. So talk about that, removing the governor in your mind to unleash the
1: potential that you didn't really know about. This is actually one of my favorite things that he talks about in the book, and, and he really he relays it into, you know, having the car and everything. He relays it in and kind of paints a really good picture And it's something that I didn't really notice until I dove into this book and really started, you know, figuring out how Goggins thinks about things. But, you know, kind of whenever you're doing a task and I've kind of been more conscious about this lately since I read the book, but whenever you really step back and think about what you're doing, you know, whether you're, whether you're running, you're biking, you're swimming, you're just doing whatever it is in your day-to-day job, think about, you know, how does my body feel right now? And, you know, what is my mind telling me? And if you can kind of separate those two things, you know, you'll be shocked and floored about what you can accomplish. And I think Goggins is living proof of that, of what he's done, you know, whether it be, you know, the hundred mile race with no training or the running with the stress fractures uh, through bad water and 120 degree weather. You know, the, the human body is so, you know, it can adapt to change and it can do, you know, way more than people think. Um, And so I think, you know, that would be my challenge to anyone listening or anyone who reads this book. You know, next time you're doing something, kind of try to separate the two. You know, what is my mind telling me? What's my body? And, you know, always try to go one more. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do that one more enough, you'll be surprised how far that'll take you. Yeah, absolutely. I know just from, you know, starting my running journey, you know, coming from being a football player and being, you know, 250, 6'5", you know, not the ideal build for a runner, but at the same time I started out and, you know, I thought, I told myself, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be able to do three miles and then, you know, well, four miles seems kind of far and five, and then you keep working up the ladder and, you know, here I am at, at, at 10 miles and, you know, you're, you're looking for more. So, uh, yeah. you know, you can always go that extra step and just, you know, keep pushing yourself. Yeah. So you have to come back on when you're doing the ultras in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. We're, uh, we're going to do, we're going to, see what happens with the half marathon. And we'll just, uh, we'll keep putting one foot in front of the other and see what happens. There you go. So, and then the other thing
0: is becoming uncommon amongst the uncommon, you know, so it's one thing to be different, but once you reach that top tier, uh, whether it's in professional sports, whether it's in sales, whether it's, you know, corporate as a physician, whatever, once you're to that top tier, like you mentioned with SEC football, everybody's a good athlete. When you get to medical school, everybody's smart, but how do you separate yourself from the cream of the crop, right? And that usually takes a lot of soul searching. Um, It takes some grit. It takes some determination, and it really just takes a attitude of not being denied. So I know for me, when I got to uh, medical school, I was looking around like, wow, I'm no longer the smart kid. Actually, when I got to undergrad, I looked around and said, OK, I'm no longer the token smart kid anymore. Um, so it's going to take more than just my talents and abilities. It's going to take determination. It's going to take discipline, which you know a lot of people might lack. And a lot of people have depended on their talents to get them to where they are. Uh, so just call, talk about
1: that becoming uncommon amongst the uncommon. Yeah. So for me, whenever I I got to Arkansas my first year, um, I was kind of hit with that, you know, what we were talking about. Hey, everyone's the man now. Uh, I noticed that whenever I first got on campus. Uh, And, you know, I wasn't a really highly recruited guy. I was a three-star recruit, uh, you know, kind of middle of the pack. But whenever I got to Arkansas, um, I had it made up in my mind that I wasn't going to be one of these guys that comes in and, and red shirts and and waits for their time. And so I tried to immediately, I tried to see what I could do to d- differentiate myself uh, from the rest of the guys, whether it be staying after practice, catching extra balls, uh, meeting with the coach extra, kind of getting getting the game plan down, getting the schemes down. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing whenever you transition to the college level is coaches are gonna play guys they trust. Um, everybody's athletic, um, everybody can play the game. That's why you're there, but you have to be able to know what you're doing. You have to be able to think on your feet and that was going to be the biggest thing for me. So I made a I made a pact with myself that I was going to go in. I was going to learn the playbook. And I got to the point where, you know, during fall camp, I was able to go and meet with guys that were in my class and kind of teach them the playbook because I had carved out the time in the summer and put the extra hours in to get in the playbook and kind of learn my stuff and know what I was doing. Um, and so that gave me definitely an advantage. And that was one of the reasons I believe that Um, I was able to play and start on special teams and, and get some offensive snaps as a true freshman in SEC.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I like the way you said that your advantage was a mental game, right? You studied. So in life, we often think about it's more reps or it's doing more from a physical standpoint. But sometimes it's taking a step back and doing less to actually mentally think about an approach or mentally make sure that you have clarity on what your why is or what the goal and that you're trying to achieve, even what it is. Because many times you just get so caught up in this rat race of moving and doing and not really know what the main purpose of what you're doing is. So I like that clarity there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, having having the big picture and, you know, kind of being in the moment and because it was a dream of mine coming from high school, you know, I was like, I always wanted to play in the SEC. Um, and you get there and you realize, wow, I'm finally here, kind of the same thing with the NFL. I was going to give myself every opportunity to be successful from the mental side of things. At the end of the day, you can't really control, you know, physically. You can go out there and you can give your best effort, you know, but you may not make every play. You may not make every catch or tackle or, or whatever it be. Um, but at the end of the day, you can always be the most prepared and you can always give the best effort, 100%. Yeah,
0: yeah I totally agree with that. Totally agree. All right, so on timeout with the sports doctor, this year your final timeout. So we've talked about, you know, David Goggins and his Can't Hurt Me book, as well as the Never Finished book. Or is it Unfinished or Never Finished? Never Finished. Never Finished. I have to do that, the sequel. Um, but for you, you know, coming through, exposure to sports, playing sports at the highest level, um, and now transitioning from sports to life after sports. And, you know, I talk a lot on this podcast to athletes about the special skill set that you have as an athlete and from going through the gruel of summer camp and fall camp and playing injured and those skills that you might not be able to put on a resume, but talk about how, what you've endured, you know, during your career, how that sets you up to be successful in the corporate world and, you know, in, in medical sales and things of that of that nature that you're doing now.
1: Yeah, so just coming from football and collegiate sports in general, you're so structured and there's so much of it, you know, balancing between being a student, being an athlete, uh, you know, it, it's a really big burden and also trying to have a social life and trying to meet people and trying to, trying to live the college experience. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of time management, it takes a lot of being accountable. And I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, whenever you make it to, you know, as an upperclassman, a lot of those guys that you'll come in with, they'll get weeded out, you know, not because, you know, they weren't the best athlete. I've seen a lot of people that had unlimited athletic potential that just couldn't figure it out off the field. And I think, you know, coming into the professional world, there's so many people, you know, whenever they're hiring, they're looking for former college athletes because they know that, hey, these guys are accountable, they're competitive, they have great time management, uh, and and they're responsible. Um, And that's kind of tried and true. You know, you, you may not be able to prove that on a resume, but I think a lot of people, you know, they see college athlete and they see the years, you know, that maybe you lettered or you played. Um, and they know that, hey, you know, this guy, this girl, you know, they're going to do what they need to do, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, learn or, you know, just be where they're supposed to be at that time. They're going to have it all under control. Yeah. No, I like that. And I, I want athletes to
0: hear, you know, that you have a special skill set beyond what we can teach or learn in a classroom and how that can take you to new heights, you know, in your professional career as well as just life after sports in general.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for all the, for all the young athletes listening, uh, you know, it it does go by in a flash. I, I remember being, you know, that freshman at the bowl game whenever all the seniors would come up and they would, you know, talk about how much the program meant to them and, and, you know, you know, freshmen take advantage of your time And you're sitting in that chair as an 18-year-old freshman, you know, you're thinking that'll never be me. I snapped my fingers. Next thing I knew, that was me standing up there, you know, giving my remarks to the program and saying how thankful I was. And that was me out there on senior day, you know. So just for the young athletes and, you know, the people out there that are listening to this, man, just take advantage of your time and really, you know, make the most of what you have in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for coming on, you know, going through this book
0: because it's a different spin. Everybody's going to read this book and take something else or take something different away from it. So I think it was really valuable being able to kind of have this dialogue about the book. So thank you for you know, sharing your experiences and helping others through this podcast.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. All right. And tell people how they can follow you and kind of keep up with what you're doing now. Yeah. So I think the biggest, the best way to follow me right now is I'm probably most active on Instagram. Um, And my Instagram is just Grayson Gunner. No, no spaces, nothing. So that's where you can find me. All right, cool. All right, man. Well, thank you for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right.
0: Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episodes. Until later, peace. Hey, time out with the sports doc. Uh-huh. Keep our head right in the game We ain't never stopping You are now
1: tuned in Trust, you don't wanna miss This is where life, sports, and medicine